Ask 100 people if they have good common sense and more than 95% will tell you they do. Ask them if they're good coaches and almost as many will say yes. Executives we talk to assume that they're good managers and being a good coach is like your shadow on a sunny day and naturally follows. But what if it doesn't? In this episode, we are discussing how to find the balance between coaching and managing. Welcome to the 90th Percentile, an unconventional leadership podcast by Zanger Folkman. Each week, using research from over 1.5 million global assessments of leaders, we analyze different leadership traits, trends, and what it really takes for leaders to get to the 90th Percentile. I'm Brianna Corin, and joining me today is my friend and leadership guru, Jack Zanger. Before we begin our episode today, I wanted to let all of our listeners know about an incredible opportunity coming up later this month on January 25th and 27th. We have an incredible development experience that we are offering online and there are a few available seats open for it. So if you are new to Zanger Folkman and would like to attend the Extraordinary Coach for evaluation purposes, you can use this code at checkout to save 50%. It's 22-new, and I'll put that in our episode details. Now, you must register by January 17th, and it's good for up to two people from the same qualifying organization. In our episode last week, we talked about expanded access to coaching and how in order for that to be achieved, you need more qualified internal coaches with the organization. Sadly, just because you're a manager doesn't mean you are now gifted with exceptional coaching abilities. Well, that would be good news if it were so, since more and more top executives are expecting their managers to coach their direct reports. In fact, a senior leader at a major financial institution uh, that's been a longtime client of ours announced that he expected the bank's managers to dedicate two-thirds of their time to coaching employees. Wow, two two thirds, and that's a lot of that's a lot of time. Yeah, that's a lot of time. And what's more, um, in our employee surveys at Zanger Folkman that we've conducted over the past decade, showed that employees want coaching. They don't want you to ignore them. They're asking for it. Our empirical evidence echoes a myriad of other studies that you can find um, that other organizations have done. Effective coaching raises employee commitment and engagement, productivity, retention rates, which everyone cares about, retention, retention, customer loyalty, and employee perceptions of the strength of the upper-level leadership. In fact, Responses we've collected over 10 years from some half million individual contributors worldwide evaluating about 50,000 of their managers and 360 reviews show just about a perfect correlation between the leader's effectiveness in developing others and the level of their employees' engagement and discretionary effort. So I'm pretty sure we are all on the same page that coaching is a good thing. But we're unfortunately not naturally good at it. And if done poorly, it can actually cause a lot of harm. So if organizations are going to appoint some internal coaches, what should they look for, Jack? Where, where do they start? Before leaders can be taught coaching skills, they need to possess some fundamental attributes many of which are not common managerial strengths. Some actually run counter to the behaviors 
and attributes that get people promoted to managerial positions in the first place. Here are a few attributes we have recently begun to measure to determine what might predict who would make the most effective coaches. You'll quickly see the conflict between traditional management practices and good coaching traits. So I'll begin with being directive versus being collaborative. Good managers on occasion need to give direction to the groups they manage, of course. And that willingness to exert leadership is often why they get promoted. But the most effective managers, who are also effective coaches, learn to be selective about giving direction. Rather than using their conversations as an opportunity to exert a strong influence and make recommendations and provide unambiguous direction, they take a step back and try to draw out the views of their talented and experienced staff. Mm, that sounds so wonderful, but just, just the phrase draw out mm-hmm. it feels like it's going to take so much time. And that's hard because, I mean, am I wrong in thinking that? It seems so much faster to just get in, get out, get it done, tell people what to do. But maybe um, is this something that it takes a lot of time at first to learn how to draw that stuff out, but with practice you can do it more efficiently and faster? Well, exactly. Being directive appears to be much more efficient, but it puts the burden on the manager to have the optimum answer and to be there at the right time. It doesn't develop other people. Instead, it makes them dependent on you. It doesn't build their self-confidence or their willingness to take initiative. The next contradiction has to do with the fundamental concept of coaching. Many people, I I dare say the majority, tend to associate coaching with their experience with coaches in junior high school and high school and college. And I challenge you to find a better example of a directive manager than the typical athletic coach. They tell players what to do. They often call the plays. They determine the game strategy. They make all the critical decisions. So when people in business are asked to be better coaches, They back away from being totally directive and turn to giving advice. And advice giving is one more contradiction between traditional views of managing and what we know about good coaching in a business environment. At the heart of this contradiction is the assumption that the managers need to be experts at everything Mm -hmm. and therefore should give direction and answer any and all questions that come to them. That's a lot of pressure. (laughs) It is a terrible amount of pressure. The third contradiction seems to be the desire to give advice rather than to aid the person that they're talking with to discover the solution from within themselves. Direct reports frequently ask their managers questions about how they should handle various issues or resolve a specific problem. And managers are often promoted to their positions because they are exceptionally good at solving problems. So no one should be surprised to find that many managers are quick to give advice rather than taking the time to help their colleagues or their direct reports discover the best solution from within themselves. The best coaches do both, but they emphasize helping others to discover good solutions, rather than the manager always providing the answer to them. Mm, 
I think this applies to so many areas of life too. I mean, um, as my side my side hustle, sometimes I I started teaching voice a long time ago. When I first started, I was oh I was a terrible teacher. I would just tell the student, listen to me, just sing, sing, and mimic the sound <laughs> I'm making. It was it was obviously not very helpful to them at all, and I I feel so bad. But over time, I got better, <laughs> much better, and I learned how to help them discover the sounds with their own body and their own voice using different and much more helpful techniques than mimic. Um, Our impulse, you know, is always to jump in, even with your kids, with our brilliant idea and not consider that what what worked for us will not always work for them. So what's next? You know, the next one is that this inclination for people to act as the expert versus acting as an equal. We've all seen instances when the person with the most technical expertise has been promoted to a supervisory or managerial position. Organizations want their leaders to understand their technology. So naturally, when coaching others, some managers behave as if they possess far greater wisdom than those that they coach. They think that's expected of them. But in assuming this role of guru, the well-meaning manager may treat those they coach as a novice or even as a child. Still, the excellent coach does not behave as a complete equal with no special role or a valued perspective or responsibility in the conversation. Good coaching involves helping people to see their current situation more accurately and to help them discover and implement decisions that ideally come from within them. Was there ever a time in your career that that you experienced this personally? (laughs) Absolutely. I wince when I think back of my behavior when I first started out as a manager in an organization. I loved having people come to me with questions. I'm a problem solver by nature and, and disposition. As I grew older and hopefully a little wiser, I learned to ask, what do you think? I learned there was real magic in that. It conveyed respect. It developed the other person's confidence. And oh, by the way, it prevented me from making what would have been many bad decisions. You know, neuroscience is consistently reminding us that the brain is remarkably plastic. So even though we found a strong correlation between certain traits that you may not already possess and the ability to be an effective coach, we have found that people can learn to acquire them if they are willing to work at it. What that takes is a willingness to step outside your comfort zone and behave in ways that may not be familiar. It's just like learning to play golf or or tennis. What feels awkward at first begins to be more comfortable in time. (laughs) And in my case with golf, it would take a very long, long time. So what we covered is um, that leaders can be more collaborative as opposed to being more directive. They can learn the skill of helping people to discover solutions rather than first offering advice. They can learn how satisfying it is to treat others with consummate respect and to recognize that in today's workforce, it is not unusual to have employees who are more comfortable with the latest technology than their leaders are and that anyone can learn to become an extraordinary coach. 
The 90th Percentile, an unconventional leadership podcast, was written and recorded by Brianna Corin and Jack Sanger and produced by Zanger Folkman. If you're interested in learning more about Zanger Folkman's award-winning 360-degree assessments, leadership, and coaching offerings, or would like to attend our monthly leadership webinar series hosted by Jack Sanger and Joe Folkman, visit our website at zangerfolkman.com. If you like our podcast, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and be sure to leave us a nice review. All resources and links to the research referenced in this episode can be found in the episode details or on our podcast page on zangerfolkman.com.